0: Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Strevens. Let's jump straight into it. That was really nice and interesting to do a slightly different podcast episode with Laura and General Manager of the BDA Benevolent Fund, this time.
1: Yeah, I found it fascinating actually. I learned so much about the BDA Benevolent Fund. I mean, the ages and yeah. requirements and what they provide. It was, you know, for anyone listening, they should definitely go to their website and learn more about them yeah, because I think we have a misinterpretation that,
0: of them. Yeah, and digging into their financial and wellbeing survey. I mean, 485 respondents that's a pretty decent sample to give an insight as to how mm. dentists have been affected through their covid dental school experience yeah so i thought it was excellent really good yeah, worthwhile. Some, of the, some of those stats are, are quite remarkable i bet the listeners will take a lot from that episode definitely definitely so welcome to our latest episode of Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. And today we are very fortunate. Uh, we're joined by Laura Hannan, who's the General Manager of the BDA Benevolent Fund. It's a charity organisation established in 1883 flipping hey. would you That's believe like a long time. and they've been supporting dentists students and their families living in the uk and today we talked about a recent survey on the financial and well-being of uk dental students which was conducted in late 2021 welcome laura how are you doing
2: I'm good, thank you for having me. Um, it's, nice, oh, pleasure. No, it's nice to be not here. Oh, please. nice
0: to be here. Excited to find out more about this this survey. So could you perhaps just give us a bit of backstory on this survey and if it's a new initiative by the BDA Benevolent Fund and you know, why it was you wanted to understand more about dental students? Yeah, so
1: what was the sort of thinking behind yeah. it really? Yeah.
2: Um, the thinking was that um, in any given year we probably support about 10, 20% of our applicants' students. But obviously, um, beginning of lockdown and COVID, um, that number has massively increased. Mm. And in um, throughout 2021, 55% of applicants were students. Um, so we knew there was a kind of trend that we were seeing more applications. Um, and I did some research about um, just general well-being and the financial pressures that students might face, and there wasn't anything out there. So I put a proposal to the board and said, I think this is something that I think we should do and um, and they agreed so that was great we worked with um, a research company you know went out to tend to find a research company um, and we involved the dental profession as part of the survey so we spoke to some of our previous applicants spoke to universities because we found that we were kind of that independent organization that was in, you know, in the middle mm-hmm. to be able to to learn about it and then equally that would have a knock-on effect of those students learning about us and what we do and kind of increase mm. awareness in that way so that was the main reason behind it um, wow. and it's been fascinating. I t- to get I'll
1: well. tell you something I've learned already which I'm, I'm quite amazed at I had never in my head I'd always thought BDA Benevolent Fund was for like older dentists you know retired dentists and I hadn't really thought about it for students that you were saying you get applications. Did you say you normally get 10 or something?
2: Yeah. So it's about 10%. 10%. So we probably support in any... We have about 100, 150 applications a year. Um, that may be the same person applying more than once because people do come back, or, or over time they may apply in different years. Um, so kind of 50 to 70 people and then maybe double the number of applications. Uh, the number, The average, actually... The average age of a person applying now is about 31 so that is wow it is um massively brought down because of the mm. prevalence of students applying but that is you know mm. still support dentists but not has necessarily those kind of retired people because yeah. by and yeah. large, has that changed
1: laura does it has it sort of got younger as time's gone on is that yeah, a record yeah. that you guys keep that can i say in my head yeah, I was always thinking. You know, we we gave it. We used to work for a bank years and years ago. We were laughing about it this morning. There's a terrible picture of us giving a check to the BDA develop uh, benevolent fund from two ladies outside our head office, and we just looked totally, <laughs> totally different. And and but in my head, I'd always thought it was for older, you know, old, you know, guys in their late fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, something like that.
2: We're actually doing some research at the moment and we're working with some volunteers who are going to look into our history for us because, as you said, um, we'll be 140 next year. So I I would like to do a project on that and find out about some of those um, circumstances and the cases. So from the very early days, it was kind of widows and children, orphans of Mm. dentists um, because Mm. they weren't provided for, there wasn't the welfare state. Um, And I think there was a period of time where mostly we supported people um, who were involved um, with the GDC or issues mm. to kind of sickness, the dentist and their family. So we support um, the partners and widows of, of dentists. But mm. now, as I said, that the lot younger applicants, people in work, young associates, and um, that transition period between maybe you've been off sick or um, and you need to get back into work. And obviously dentistry is quite an expensive profession. It's not like... You and I, we just start a job and that's kind of yeah. it. Um, yeah, there's a lot of fees involved in doing that. Um, so we support people with those costs, um, mm. indemnity or registration fee, travel to work kind of thing before they start earning. Um, yeah. But now, yeah, the majority of our applications this year and last year were for some, from students. Um, no, it's good, work. Awesome. it's
0: good work. And I see that the survey was well-responded as well, the 485 respondents to it, which in terms of a sample is is decent. And mm. I was surprised to see that 40% of those that responded had considered dropping out due to money worries and, and wellbeing concerns. It, it, I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, because I don't know how not many years you've done this survey, but it, do you think their COVID experience would have influenced that as a percentage in, in the in previous years? Have you done this survey in previous years? No, well, this is the first oh, ever time I've done a survey, um, which is fascinating. Right.
2: I am hoping that we um, will at least replicate it maybe this year or potentially next year to kind of get that sort of state of the nation from students, and then we can yeah. have mm. more evidence and information about how things are changing. Mm. Obviously, we were doing it in a COVID year, so it's not like a baseline sample of, of the reality of dental students from a research point And that's what view. I was
0: wondering. I was wondering whether the 40% is a distortedly high figure mm. because of their COVID experience. And if you continue to do it in years to come, we'd see that number drop off, falling. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, that, that would be interesting to learn. You started um, at a peak.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it would be nice if we could we could do that. We've obviously spent all the time and energy in putting the survey together, so I don't think it'd be hard to replicate. And um, actually, it's more the the work getting people to fill it in. <laughs> um, so engaging with universities and getting them to spread it around for us is part of the challenge. Um, but equally that allows us to have those conversations with the university and make them known about what we do and um, how we help and what we can support them because it doesn't replicate the support from t- universities. It's kind mm. of complementary to that. So well, to well, go back well, to well, your well, question, has COVID made things worse? I would say yes. Um, yeah. I think there's the, the, the financial side and the well-being side was the two main themes of our um, survey. So in terms of the well wellbeing... Um, People were more isolated. Either they were at university and on their own. Maybe their course mates have gone home. Um, obviously dentistry is longer than the average degree, uh, mm. and maybe people wanted to be at home. And we can't we can't really forget that there are issues with bereavement that um, people mm. were encountering. Um, you know, maybe they've lost some of their family members. Um, as as whilst they were doing this and, and still doing the academic and to an extent the clinical side at least earlier on. Um. And then the financial side. Some universities have extended their courses. Um, Scotland, Scottish universities, by a whole year, uh, mm. and some of the others just by a few months. But if you're if you're doing quite a long course anyway, and then mm. you think that you're nearly finished, and now you've got a whole other year to go. Mm. Worries about how you're going to fund that, and then how kind of sustain that energy that you've put in in order to to do your course, um, mm. and those people that. We thought, particularly, so I've just spoken to international students this morning, I've got a few more calls this afternoon. Um, it's a very expensive course to do for five mm-hmm. years. And if you think that, okay, fine, I can. your family will put that money aside for you um, for five years and now that's six, it's a lot of money to be able to support someone. And they would have been working now and now they're not. And so they've kind of lost that one year of income. Potentially, mm. they might not ever get back. Um, so it has has exacerbated things, mm. you know, from both parts of kind of finance and the wellbeing side.
0: And I, and I guess that fits with that, that stat, which was 74% of the students that were surveyed had said they had concerns about money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, m- money can't buy happiness, but it sure as heck is a stress reliever, isn't it, if there's some money sloshing around. What, what help and support... Um, does the bda benevolent fund provide because it's it's not just kind of handing out money is it i guess there's a kind of a, a support service as well
2: yeah so um every time someone applies i speak with them so it's a very much a kind of bespoke service that we offer to make sure that we're supporting people with what they need um and though that does make it i guess confusing because it's not like you just fill in a box and then someone sends you a nice check um, but it does mean that what they're worried about say the rent or the travel or um is their concerns is that something that we kind of match the funding to uh also the form is designed in a way to allow people to articulate what their financial situation is because primarily that's what we do we grant funds so we give money out for people mm. um, and so that opens up conversations for me to have about what they're spending the money on not in a judgment way and obviously yeah. um you know it's an open conversation and sometimes it will be you're spending higher than average on this, but sometimes it's, again, you know, you've said that you're living off £20 a week. That's probably not realistic. And have I missed something? And we adjust the figures so that that they make sense and they're kind of equal. So I have a conversation with everybody. Um, They talk about what the issues are. And then that goes through to the trustees. Um, It's all electronic-based. It's an anonymous application form from the trustees' point of view. Um, And they... They make the decision based on what the, yeah, the student has written versus the kind of summary of their finances. Um, so it is, it is a you know, a bespoke situation, it can be kind of labour intensive but equally we're helping people with what they feel that they need um, and I can signpost them to other supports so and make sure they're speaking to the universities and tell them about the other things that we offer. So we have a partnership with the company that offers wellbeing support, there's a, an app you can download. Um, they do webinars oh, okay. and there's a helpline. So if you've got concerns about your um, mental health, particularly if you want access to counselling, that's all available as well. Um, so
1: I suppose the good thing on that isn't as is if you, even if they've reached out to you, and they haven't been successful with getting any any support financially, then you can at least signpost them to somewhere where they, if their emotionally or their well being is, yeah. is an issue or something. You're, you're not just purely that right. Well, no, we can't give you any money, so tough. No, <laughs> and in case, like, um, Hey, we, we'll give you something else.
2: If we say no to someone because we're not going to give them some money, it's because they've got money. So I don't feel, like, upset yeah. by uh, they don't meet our criteria because they're not considered to be in financial need. And that is... Can they manage over the next three months with either their income or their savings? So um, that's not to say that people can't come back and people do mm-hmm. apply year after year or within the year or whatever because um, it's based on those current situations. So we do help them, but if if they're if they've got money then we don't have them and that's not necessarily a problem for either of us is it really because we no, don't
0: manage no i tell you it would be good laura because could you send over to me those links of those resources and i'll put those in the episode notes yeah so that if there's anybody listening to this that wanted to help yeah they could click on it and get get access to that which would be helpful yes I'm and also I'm multiple gonna... applications that's quite
1: interesting isn't it it's got <laughs> an interesting one really the, um, and you sometimes get, uh, not obviously mention anybody, but I presume you get somewhere you sort of go, no, come on, be serious. Look at the, what you're spending and and, yeah. and and almost become like their mum. or something in a way. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> you've come to us?
2: Well, I mean, don't they say that people would prefer to walk naked than tend to get have conversations with money? So obviously it's not um, yeah, it's true, an yeah. in intrusive process. But obviously I'm an independent person. I speak to them on the phone. Um, mm. I'm not there to say cut out your waitress spending habit or whatever. Like it's just allows us to have a kind of base smart benchmark kind of understanding of the reality. Um, and some people, yes, are a bit on their extravagant lifestyle. We don't put dentists back in the situations if they were working. Um, we we prioritise. So if, if they need support, say with their rent or their mortgage, we will pay the app cost for three months. Um, mm. And we're not going to be like, well, because you live in this house or that house, because mm. it's. A, we want to make people um prior, prioritize their essentials, so make sure they're staying in the home, that they're fed, and pay the yep. bills. When it comes to those discretionary things, then we will have a conversation. If someone's spending a thousand pound a month on food, that's fine. That's up to them. If they want to, they can do that. We just aren't going to pay for that. And we mm, would support yeah. them to an appropriate level. Um, there's an organization called the Joseph Rowntree Foundation um mm. and they the poverty um activism charity and they do this thing called a minimum income calculator. So you can look at what the individual is. So if they've got um a family of two school age children, then mm. that will say this is roughly what society suggests is enough for you to live off. And we use that to kind of that's understand as a point. for some yeah. of those discretionary yeah. areas of funding. Mm. Um, so if it's we'll pay your electricity bill, if that's what you're worried about, um, at what that bill is but if um, other things are slightly more extravagant, they will say, we'll pay up to this level. <laughs> and maybe now's the time to understand why you might have got into this situation. Mm-hmm. You, you know, often it's no fault of their own. Um, you know, if you're ill, mentally or physically, and you can't work, um, then that's, that's that's just one of those things that's unpredictable. Mm-hmm. Hopefully people, particularly dentists, will have steps to manage that. So maybe they've got um, income protection insurance or... They've got savings, um, but eventually some of those things will run out, or there'll be gaps in time when they can't manage. Um, mm. But part of the part of what we do is that financial planning, in essence, and yeah. allow people to understand why they've got in this situation. Which great
0: life do. skills, aren't they? It like, must be a though.
1: tricky line, really, in a way, because you're asking. Uh, in in, uh, intrusive questions but also you've got to be mindful of the circumstance they're in so you almost have to be a bit like a financial counsellor don't you to a certain degree of uh, because you can't sort of like bash bash you know question one question two question three no i'm not interested you know question four you you must it, it it must imagine i don't know does it become quite intense and quite emotional at times for the guys on the other end or maybe for yourself
2: yeah i mean um i think for the main part Student applications are quite straightforward. In essence, they're not properly funded, particularly towards their final year. Um, it's quite difficult for me because all the countries are different, so the finance isn't the same. Plus also student finance is based on your parents' income, even though you're grown an adult. <laughs> um, and the NHS bursary doesn't necessarily cover people's circumstances for the m- main part if you're from maybe a low income background, if you're a second degree student, if you've got care responsibilities, those are all the types of people that come to us more than the average person maybe that's put some money aside or has lived mm-hmm. with their family. Um, and in terms of, yeah, the dentists, there's an issue with dentistry sometimes when people are quite proud, you know, they're competitive. Um, maybe they're quite private and so it is a step for them to even apply in the first place. Mm. Um, maybe they didn't realise when they applied that they have to have a conversation with me, but we don't feel as an organisation <laughs> that we could just get a bit of paper and, and put yes or no and then send a check. That's not who we are. That's not what we want to do. Um, yes, very that, uh, allows us to have those conversations and um, signpost or explore and give other options for them and make sure that they're well in whatever sense that is. Mm.
0: I also saw in the report that fifty-six percent of students worked mm-hmm. um, whilst you know alongside their studies, and obviously you know we, we we know how intense the the clinical focus is at dental school, and whilst there is obviously a it supports you financially working, um, there's obviously another dimension to it, which is the building of interpersonal skills and life skills. So. It, 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 you don't want people to have to work and neglect their studies because they can't afford to do the course and they need to kind of make their financial ends meet. But there is merit, I think, in, in people if they're able to work and able to cope with that, because then when they qualify from dental school, they've not just got pure clinical skills. There, there There's a broader skill set in there.
2: Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think um, it doesn't specifically say because I don't think we broke down the the evidence to that level of detail, although I could check, but um, it majority of them work in early years. So the first, second, and third year when the clinical work isn't so tough. Um, it's I, I have a lot of conversations with people in their fourth and fifth year when the funding's different and their savings have gone or circumstances have changed. And that's when they're, they're having those real dilemmas which relates to thinking about quitting, of I know this is what my income is. So for... we for say you got at Queen's University in Belfast, your NHS bursary always um, covers your fees, which is great. And you get a student loan of 1,850 a year. Like that, how are people gonna survive off that? And so there's a real conversation with people going, well, I need to do this job um, in order to pay my rent, but then I just don't know when I'm gonna be able to do that because I'm doing full-time clinical work. Um, and we are starting to see the um, petrol costs and inflation having a greater yeah. impact because people, whereas they would have gone to work part-time bar work, they're doing some, you know, COVID vaccinators or, or whatever, um, and now they can't necessarily afford to travel to get that money. So this is real kind of conversation of like, well, I want to work to get those skills to meet other people, to, to broaden my horizons. Also, I need it to pay the rent but then it's costing me too much to get there or I don't really have the time. Um, And that's generally when we would sort of step in and offer those funds towards living costs so that people don't have to, to stress about it so much.
0: And in the report, I mean, there's obviously a direct link between the money side of life and and well-being and and recently we spoke to um khaja who's the um she's like mind ninja online and we were talking to her about well-being and mindfulness and in the report it showed that there were about three quarters of students say they needed well-being support but only a third of them got support why why do you think that is is there sort a stigma around asking for for help around well-being
2: i mean yeah there is isn't there i mean um i don't think everyone would say that the society is so au okay fait with mental illness that everyone would just tell everyone all their problems all the time um <laughs> definitely still an issue and i think it's medical professions have that kind of added worry of they feel that they should be fine or they should be able to manage it mm-hmm. properly or maybe they're worried that they're actually might know the person that they go to speak to um, oh. or someone will or get out and then there'll be implications on their career because... Yeah, um,
0: that's um, I That's an added pressure though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah
2: exactly. You're or a maybe, bit
1: flaky at uni. What are you going to be like when you're out there? Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, it's just, yeah. yeah that's true, I suppose. you hadn't thought about that really, the stigma that goes with it.
2: And I think sometimes it's also about the wording, not really understanding your how you feel and how you would translate that into to needing support, so maybe you do feel a bit run down or a bit mm. sad for a couple of days, but then you don't necessarily equate that to having a mental health problem or having not great wellness, um, whatever mm. the for, for that is. But uh, understanding those kind of patterns of your own behaviour and um, doing those kind of self care tips, you know, sleeping well, eating well, and um, speaking mm. to people, kind of socialising, balancing that that course life. Um, work life with your kind of personal life and your hobbies and interests and understanding those things and then how that would relate to is it a long-term unsustainable solution so often mm. dentists we find don't really want to talk about it because they're in a unique situation where they're working with a lot of people um, but maybe not all of those people are what they would consider to be their peers and so they don't want to sort of confess that they're having issues either with their mm. well-being or their money. Um and so we really would recommend like kind of talking, talking about Yeah it's really multi-dimensional, isn't it? There.
0: In terms of that mm. the impact.
1: It's sort of layer upon yeah. layer, isn't it really? And also I suppose as as you were saying Laura, depending on where you are in your study, mm. <laughs> depends on where you're your emotions are at that point in time yeah. and especially during the covid thing you know mm. yeah i mean it's an interesting one you know wonder wonder the when the the students in the middle of lockdown were ever wondering you know because none of us knew what was going to happen might they actually ever qualify yeah. you know i don't know but at that time when we locked down it was all a bit of a shock mm. for us all wasn't it <laughs> yeah
0: well i must admit it was an eye-opener in the report that 55 percent of the respondents were impacted by depression mm-hmm. which is a that's a massive number and it's well known that in dentistry at the moment there's a there's a recruitment crisis um you know trying to find um associates um there's lots of nurses who are leaving the profession and do you think that that kind of feeding towards depression potentially impacts on people choosing dentistry as a career going forward i
2: um, mean yeah. I would love to be able to answer that question, but it's not <laughs> time saying, that's, not e-
0: that's not an easy question. Answers <laughs> on a postcard, please. <laughs> um,
2: I think you maybe think I'm more important than I am. Um, how would I answer that question? Do future dentists listen to this podcast, read our surveys, and then understand that maybe it's going to be tougher than they think? I don't know. Um, is there a kind of correlation between? Dentist families, so people going to university that are related to someone already, um, I, don't, I don't know and how they would learn about it. Um, but equally, we have to appreciate that it is a well-established profession. People do have good careers through it. The the people that yeah. I work with, uh, particularly our board, are all people that have really enjoyed working in dentistry. So I don't think it's all doom and gloom, I think, yeah. necessarily. Your students nowadays and the younger generation or as generations move through society, they are more open and acknowledging and disclosing that. I don't, I think maybe if you did this survey mm. and compared it generation by generation, hopefully people are better at, at speaking out about what the realities are. Mm. Um, yeah. I understand it anecdotally that people don't necessarily want to work in the way that they're always used to. We talk about ah. how COVID has affected that and kind of flexible working, but people don't want to work full-time hours. They're not, they're not, you know, doing every hour that they used to before because they appreciate the balance of, of what that um, life can give them by mm. by the the, the, the the enjoyment that they get out of working and speaking to patients and the clinical sides and the achievement mm. that you get, um, plus also the balance that you get from working, you know, seeing your family and socializing mm. and doing your hobbies or sport or whatever that is, and um, so. Mm. I don't, I don't know is the answer. <laughs> it's quite
1: an interesting one, isn't it? Like the whole world is now, there's very much more of a, a work from home culture and remote yeah. work, at work. You can't do that as a dentist, can you? you know? <laughs> it's, it's, you've got to be in the surgery. Yeah. So maybe that is the balance where you've got the, we're here anecdotally, aren't we? A lot of the guys graduating don't want to work full time. Yeah. because they want to have a bit of time for themselves. themselves say, you know, whereas you look at lots of office workers, they're allowed to work remotely, work yeah. from home, come in the office, whereas a, a dentist can't do that. And I think it's a very... I, I don't think unless you actually either know a dentist or involved mm. in it. You as a as a not a non-dental punter I don't realise it. how intense being a dentist is really. I think mm. it's almost seen as like, well, you rock up, you do a bit of filling maybe a bit of tooth whitening, I'll straighten your teeth, I'll earn 150000 pounds because the Daily Mail says that what's that why Yeah. Know? And I have the life of Riley. I don't think they really, really <laughs> understand it if you if, unless you understand
2: dentistry. Well yeah, and then if you think about it, not everybody likes going to the dentist, do they? No. <laughs> I mean yep. I didn't not enjoyed when i was younger um you know and <laughs> they are a source of discomfort let's say yeah, um right. if you've got mm. something that needs to be doing obviously if you're happy and healthy and that's fine then you know you probably have a great relationship with dentists so it is it is a profession where people are having to see but really don't want to be there mm, yeah. and having to manage and take on their stress and anxiety and supporting them through that yeah um, so we can't
0: take that away from them as well. Yeah. I, I was encouraged to see in the report that students were saying they'd like financial and wellbeing management integrated into their studies, yeah. which, which we agree with yeah, and definitely. also with some kind of basic business skills. But how the heck does it get fitted in? Because everybody says the clinical programme is so intense and so full, there's no space for it. But as we've been talking about today, these elements are so critical. You know, if you get these understood early on. It really gives people great foundations for, for, for a career. But how, how does that get fitted into the, into the programme?
2: We have been speaking to universities and we'd love to get a programme out there um, either as a formal part of their timetable um, or as a optional extra. I don't think actually money management skills are an overly complicated concept to learn. Um, I think if you have, say, an hour webinar, lecture, conversation, um, maybe in the first term, it just sows those seeds and helps you Mm. manage your money then. And then potentially again, Mm. towards the ends when you're learning more about the realities of self-employment or um, that transition issue between becoming a student. So final year students are quite unique in that the funding's different and then they graduate they've got to pay the relocation costs they've got to maybe work in a place that they wouldn't really have chosen to go to as far away from their family and they've got to pay the registration fee and they don't really get paid until the end of September so it's a big chunk of time they've got to manage quite a lot of outgoings and are they aware of that when you sign up no is it useful for us to speak about that absolutely so that people can plan ahead and they can think so you know obviously we can support grant funding if, where there's a need for that but equally i think knowledge is is as important as anything else and if someone said to you "Oh, just prepare for this because that's going to come up you can put that that money aside and be therefore less anxious about it because you're in control of the reality of the situation yeah. so if you had a summer job in your first year and go that's my registration money for when i graduate or or whatever then i think that all helps so absolutely i think we would love to to work with universities or run it independently but we think integrating as part of the timetable will be getting access to the students early on and help them learn about us as a charity and help them learn about Mm. those good skills that they can keep throughout the rest of their career.
1: Mm
0: And, and aside from the, we've, we talk quite heavily about the sort of financial support available from the BDA Benevolent Funder, are there are there other ways that you support the profession as well? And what's the best way for them to kind of, you know, get access to those services?
2: So our website is where all, all our information happens. Um, so check that out. Um, everybody applies online. It's some pre-eligibility questions. So are you a dentist, student or a dependent? Are you in hardship? Do you live in the UK? Brings up the right form. Um, we've got a lot of links on our student page about other access to support, so making sure that people have spoken to their universities, learning about student finance. Um, they've got the UCAS budget calculator on there. We've got a budget pl- a calculator which is open access; people can do that. Or there's a link to find out where your nearest debt advice agency is, so if you want to have that more complicated conversation with 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 people um, about debts because you know we can't advise yeah. on that and we don't support people with debts, but we want people to make sure that they're, they're yeah. able to get out of the situation that they're in. Um, we've also got an amazing resource called um, Wellbeing Support for the Dental Team um, that's linked on our website, and it's a standalone website called supportfordentalteams.org.uk. So we would love different practices to put that information on their own websites, on their intranets, hand it out, <laughs> induction days, like or whatever. Dentist
1: Citizens Advice Bureau. Yeah, <laughs> it's like amazing.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> I did actually volunteer with Citizens Advice Bureau back in the day when I was um, in a previous life, so. Uh, Ah, okay. (laughs) That is kind of advice. Well, it
1: sounds like it, doesn't it? I just think that a number of people that, when they they look at places, they go to Citizen Advice and it, it provides a very valuable service, but it's really hard to access at times, it would appear. You know, you've got all this... Resource mm. on your website that I wonder how many people know about it. It's that other thing, isn't it? How many people yeah, know I to mean, come yeah. to you to go, Oh, yeah, well,
2: <laughs> in defense of citizens' advice, they're funded locally, so it there's lots of complicated reasons about, but yeah, there is it depends on which branch you're at, <laughs> okay, yeah, versus oh, yeah. what kind of support you're getting, and also the majority staffed by volunteers, so that's quite a complicated yeah. Yeah. business model, but equally an amazing mm. resource because everybody can go and get support and they'll do a kind of a bespoke budget check yeah um, but obviously i get queries about supporting other members of the dental team and um, we our remit doesn't extend to hygienic therapists nurses we don't yet mm. have the resources to do that um we would love to to expand we should it put we a could. link to them on our website
0: yeah no we should yeah we, I mean, we'll, we'll definitely put a link in the notes to the To to this episode of the podcast, just to make it as easy for people as Mm. possible to get access to it. Yeah, if you're happy, we'd also add a a link uh, and a short piece on our website to direct people because Mm -hmm. it's one of those ones that, like you say, because of the sensitivity around it, some people might not ask. And because we we kind of value and sell dental practices there will be some people that will come to us because they see that as their way out of trouble mm. but actually it might be that there's a conversation mm. that could be had with somebody I'm that just might just in the short term the young
1: help. dentists that we have you know is, i just thinking that it's that great thing if you can signpost it to somewhere where yeah. somewhere they can go the more signpost you can put out the better it's got to be isn't it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's I think, where you're doing, I think you're doing it. great work
2: because me and um, other organisations of the Dentist Health Support Trust, we work with Public Health England, um, and um, we just found that we were always telling people what was out there, you know, where they could go to get support. Um, And as much as that's nice for me to have that knowledge, it's better if it's just open and available to everybody. So we work together as a kind of collaborative, independent group to put this Mm. document together. Mm and um, it starts off with sort of self-care tips and tricks and understanding about kind of sleep or stress Um, and then it it bookmarks and signposts to other organisations related to your problems so if you've got an issue with bereavement or um, suicidal thoughts or um, cultural specific organisations you want to access then and it's key coded related to what part of the profession you're in so if you're a dentist or a student or Mm. a dental care professional then it's got the, the link in that and I think that you know, if someone comes to you because they're struggling, you feel that you want to do something, but maybe you don't mm. necessarily have all the expertise to be able to answer their problem. The most part, people just want you to listen. But if you can yeah. listen and then also you can say, here's a guide, or you could just like subtly leaving it lying around <laughs> in your mm. practice yeah. or whatever. And then it allows people to be empowered and, and to find the support that they need themselves and without having to go through those kind of third parties like, like us and other organizations because um mm. better that we could do to get people to support themselves early on the, mm. the easier it is later on you know later if if people come to us sometimes a bit too late obviously we'll speak to everybody when they apply and deal with the current situation but i think maybe they are embarrassed or they don't or they think it's going to change and Maybe they're five grand overdrawn already, uh, we can't mm. pay their overdraft off. And it's not necessarily in their interest for that to happen because if we, they're five grand overdrawn, we give them 5,000, they still don't have any money. <laughs> they just don't have that yeah. debt anymore. So mm. the, the early people can kind of take control of their financial situation and, and realize the problem, the, the better it is for us all, I'd say.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm. no, absolutely, absolutely. Cheers, Brilliant. Lord. As we been- fascinating i think think, think the report's good but also just to find out more about the work you're doing yeah i think it's 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 really good it's really good so we'll definitely get those those links in the um in the episode uh and yeah i'll be interested to see if you do this this survey again it may be that we can perhaps get you back next year and see what the Mm. what the differences are and and what's changed over the uh over the coming year yeah brilliant
2: yeah thank you it's been great to talk. lovely
0: really appreciate your time thank you for for your your time thank you for listening to this episode of dentology where we discuss the business of dentistry if you like what you heard please do subscribe where you found this episode that would be amazing and also follow us on instagram